Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's bi-weekly speaker series podcast. This week, we are joined by Sarah Rose from the Center for Global Development. I'm sitting down with her after her virtual appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School on March 26, 2021, where she discussed incorporating evidence in U.S. development policy and programming. Thank you so much for joining us today. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about what you presented today? Thanks, Sama. Thanks very much for having me today. Um, yeah, it was a great discussion that we just had, um, looking at incorporating evidence in, in U.S. development policy and programming. And, you know, what I really focused on was sort of a, a bit of a narrow version on, you know, the, the kinds of things that the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, could think about in terms of bringing evidence more into how, you know, it uh, approaches its policy and programming. Um, I talked a little bit about uh, the background and sort of, you know, the state of evidence at USAID today. Uh, and then provided some some ideas for for advancing that uh, agenda going forward. Thank you so much for explaining that. Can you tell us maybe a surprising detail or finding that um, you came across in your research? Absolutely. And so, you know, basically to summarize, I think you know what you can say is that USAID has made you know really great strides in terms of thinking about how to incorporate evidence into into its programming um, in a more concrete kind of way. Um, you know, back under the Obama administration, you know, they really reinvigorated their commitment to evidence-based programming uh, and policy making. They you know established a new evaluation policy. They set up some new bureaucratic structures that would really focus on evaluation and learning. Uh, they created the Development Innovation Ventures, which is a a small unit that you know seeks to uh, test sort of innovative approaches to development challenges, um, and then scale up those that you know show strong evidence of impact and cost effectiveness. Yeah, what we also see is that you know building a culture of evidence and learning really does take a long time, and so and really consistent prioritization from leadership. And so you know there's there's still room for USAID to grow in this area. And so you know, what you do find when you look at that sort of USAID's processes is that, you know, again, they've, they've, they've made a lot of advancements in this area. They, they have produced more and better quality evaluations sort of across the board. Um, you know, yet evaluation quality of their own work, you know, it, it does remain a bit mixed. Um, certainly room for improvement in terms of quality uh, sort of across the board, although there are certainly high quality evaluations that, that do emerge from the agency. Um, also impact evaluations, and those are the, the more rigorous evaluations that, that try to look at sort of you know, results that are attributable to a particular USA program, you know, across the board have been a bit more rare. Um, and certainly, you know, impact evaluations aren't the right tool um, for assessing, um, you know, a, a program's results you know, across the board, but, you know, there's certainly scope for, for USA to do more. Um, also scope to do more looking at, at, you know, costing, what is sort of the value for money. Uh, the per dollar results, if you will, um, uh, across programs to be able to get a better sense of opportunity cost. Um, and, you know, and even more important than sort of producing evidence is, is thinking about, you know, how do you use it when you're thinking about programming decisions? You know, USAID's evaluations are, our own evaluations of its own work are certainly important, but, you know, there have been development organizations and even, you know, governments in, in developing countries across the board that have done evaluations of particular programs that, that may have relevance for the kinds of interventions USAID is seeking to do. And it's been a little bit inconsistent, the extent to which USAID has sort of brought that body of evidence to bear uh, in, in, in sort of designing and procuring uh, uh, for, for, the, for, for the kinds of programs that it wants to fund. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, it, it takes time, it takes skill to be able to do this, it takes, you know, real motivation from the top 
uh, for staff to be able to, to, to be motivated to, to spend again, sort of, you know, their own limited time on, on, on pursuing evaluations or, or pursuing the incorporation of evidence into programming. Um, you know, but, but, but these are, these are um, some areas where I think there could be potentially room for improvement. Such great points. I'm really glad that you're uh, bringing this up. To kind of follow up on that, you know, you're talking about all of these possible reforms and changes that can be made. What incentives are there for USAID to uh, make these changes? Like, what what are some positive things that could come about if um, USAID is able to uh, really incorporate databases like foreign aid? Well, I think you know, I, I think there's sort of a broad view in, in terms of why this is important, and so you know. A key reason why this is important for USAID to be able to do this is it's responsible for a lot of funding. It's the world's biggest bilateral donor and really has sort of the responsibility for for being able to think about you know its outcomes. Um, you know, presumably, if you have a better understanding of uh, of what might work or can at least build the, the the evidence base for what could work in the future, you may be able to design you know more targeted programs that do reflect that evidence that may have a better probability of of, of achieving the outcomes that you seek to achieve. And I think that's particularly important right now, you know, especially, uh, you know, if you look at the COVID pandemic, it's really magnified the needs around the world. Needs have grown so much that achieving outcomes, you know, becomes almost doubly important um, considering that. Um, in addition, if you think about sort of the fiscal imperative, our own fiscal imperative is that, you know, especially now, you know, COVID has magnified, you know, United States fiscal pressures themselves. Being able to think about value for money, I think could really go a long way in terms of being able to demonstrate sort of responsible use of funding as well. And so I think one, there's an opportunity for designing better programs. There's an opportunity to, to really build sort of the global knowledge about uh, you know, what kinds of programmatic approaches you know, can be successful under what circumstances to try to achieve some of these outcomes that people are seeking to achieve. And then how do you think about you know, really, again, using, using funds responsibly to try to, to really pursue you know, good value for your interventions? I definitely see what you're saying. And, you know, you touched on with the COVID pandemic, and um, I actually wanted to ask about that. How is not only the impact of COVID on long-term structures, whether that be, um, you know, economic structures, political structures, etc., how will the impact of COVID on long-term structures and even going through the vaccination process now, how is that going to impact USAID's work um, in the future? I think sort of the, the what people often say is that there are sort of challenges and opportunities, right, that, that COVID brings. And certainly, you know, COVID has in a way disrupted a lot of the development progress that, that USAID has, has been pursuing, you know, and certainly not just USAID, but, you know, that, that these country governments themselves have been pursuing. You think about, you know, disrupted, um, you know, basic health kinds of services, disrupted education. Um, you know, economic growth has been hit. You know, women and girls in particular have been hit particularly hard in the economic sphere as well. And so, you know, a lot of the objectives that USAID is, is seeking to, to advance, you know, in partnership with, with country governments who are also you know, um, seeking these, these objectives as well, you know, I think it just, the challenges are just much, much more difficult. Um, I think that there are opportunities as well in that, you know, one of the challenges that, that, that COVID created, especially early on, was that everything went remote quite quickly. And so, you know, what that also involved was, you know, a lot of, you know, American staff in particular, some of them, you know, left their country post. Uh, and so a lot of, you know, work was really done um, much more digitally, um, just as it has been in the United States as well. You know, people are coordinating in different kinds of ways. But 
but it also sort of raises opportunities for, you know, how might you do things a little bit differently um, that could be more effective. And so one is thinking about how you empower local actors in a different kind of way when you don't have, you know, the same uh, kinds of access or, or, or um, presence. Uh, of, of American staff in particular. So, so what does this mean? And I know, you know, in particular, this isn't necessarily thinking about um, um, those who programming is seeking to reach with USAID, but when you think about, you know, USAID's foreign service nationals who are the, the you know, the, the residents of that particular country that work with USAID, you know, they were empowered significantly under this sort of COVID dynamic and, and thinking about how to take that forward, I think could be very useful in, uh, in terms of thinking about USAID's processes going forward. Thinking about the evidence field too, you know, there were there were sort of real advances that sort of, you know, move the needle maybe more quickly than it otherwise might have on thinking about how do you collect data in different kinds of ways. And so, you know, thinking about sort of remote surveys, how did you think about phone surveys in a different kind of way? Um, you know, certainly that's not going to you know, replace other methods of data collection going forward. Um, but thinking about, you know, or thinking about using administrative data in a different kind of way that data that may already exist as opposed to, to, to doing sort of in-person kinds of data collection. Again, these aren't necessarily new, but the, the pandemic sort of, you know, became an opportunity to sort of advance these efforts in a way that, um, that it may not have, have advanced as quickly in, under normal circumstances. Wow, such an important commentary. Um, you know, to wrap up a little bit, I, I know I'm, I'm hearing about what you're talking about and um, as someone who's part of the newer generation and, you know, I'm seeing like the impact of USAID and just the um, international development field in general. Do you have any advice to people um, in my shoes, people who are um, really interested in what you presented today and are interested in engaging with um, the development field and actors such as um, USAID? So this was a, a, an excellent question, and it's one that was just brought up at the panel too. And I thought people gave gave really useful answers to it. Um, and I, I'll, I'll reiterate some of them here too. And so, um, you know, the point that I made at the time, which I think is also is broadly applicable, is thinking about you know when you think about development policy, there's a wide range of stakeholders that are involved in development policy kinds of questions. You have um, you know, you have US-focused stakeholders, you have, or, or, you know, in any other sort of Western donor kind of country stakeholders, you have, uh, you know, country level stakeholders, you have, you know, heterogeneous groups of stakeholders within those kinds of uh, settings. And so thinking about what your objectives are vis-a-vis -vis sort of each of those different kinds of, of stakeholders can be important and understanding sort of what kinds of, uh, what kinds of constraints each faces which kinds of uh, what kinds of messages are most compelling, and what their particular needs are, I think, is, is, is can end up being an extremely important way of, of looking at things. Development is also, you know, it, it's a broad area too. Um, you know, advice that I often give to to people who are who are just seeking to enter their careers in development, and of course, many many already do this, have already developed, you know, particular interests. I would say that. Um, you know, being able to articulate, you know, a particular interest or set of interests that you might be interested to pursue sort of within the, the broad umbrella of development can be very helpful. Um, and the other thing I would say is, um, and, and again, I think this is the advice I give particularly to those who are sort of looking at the U.S. landscape and the U.S. actors too, is that, you know, there are opportunities to do good development in a whole range of organizations. And it doesn't have to just be from a nonprofit organization or, you know, within a donor agency, within a government. There are opportunities within, you know, the private sector as well to be able to do, um, to do good development as well. 
And I think that can be important to keep in mind when, when seeking professional opportunities going forward. On behalf of my generation, thank you so much for that sound advice. We uh, definitely need it. And it's very, very helpful uh, for us to hear it from an expert such as yourself. And to wrap up a little bit, thank you, uh, Sarah, for taking the time to talk with us today. To our listeners, you can find more information about her work with the Center for Global Development at cgdev.org. You can also learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back soon.